February is Black History Month, and on this episode of the Mission Life Podcast, we're talking about the experience of African Americans in missions, from those born into slavery 250 years ago to the status of African Americans in missions today. It's a story of missions you might never have heard, so let's get started. So it's not about the black church being successful or the white church being successful. It's about the one church being successful um, as we learn to work together. Welcome to the Mission Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Reams. Thank you for listening. Show notes from each episode can be found at my website, jeffreams.com. When it comes to the history of missions, some names are talked about more than others. Growing up in church, I learned about Lottie Moon, Annie Armstrong, William Carey, Adoniram Judson. But on this episode, we're going to talk about some missionaries you might never have heard about. Many of them came to the USA in slave ships or were born into slavery. They heard of Christ and committed themselves to spreading his message of freedom. Their journey took them to Native Americans, Nova Scotia, to the islands of Hawaii and the Caribbean. They went back to Africa, to Sierra Leone, Liberia, South Africa, the Congo. They started denominations and mission agencies. I recently sat down with Richard Coleman, former director of mobilization and candidacy for TMS Global in Norcross, Georgia, to talk about the experiences of these heroes of the gospel, as well as the experience of African Americans in missions today. Richard is a young missions leader who saw God's heart for the nations on short-term mission trips. In addition to his work for TMS Global, Richard has been a missions director for a church and is now preparing to take his family to Ethiopia to support the mobilization efforts of Ethiopian leaders sending workers across Africa and to other nations. Here's our conversation. As we looked at February, and it's Black History Month in our culture and um, a lot of emphasis on black history, mm-hmm. you know, in, in my area... Um, I started thinking about who are those lesser-known missionaries in missions history that we should be talking about, and particularly with Black History Month. So I appreciate you coming on, and, yeah. and us just having a dialogue about that. Um, like I said, I you know I, I think a lot of at least if you grew up in Baptist churches, you hear about Lonnie Moon, Annie Armstrong, mm, and right. uh, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, some of those names. Right. Um, but just to just to kind of get things rolling, who are some uh, who are some names in in the African-American um, history of missions, maybe early on, some of the early pioneers, most likely folks that started out as, as slaves in America but became missionaries. Who are some names yeah. that stand out to you? Well, thanks for, first of all, thanks for doing this. I think it's it's part of the, the way that we um, we learn as a nation. You know, it's, it's really not black history as much mm-hmm. as it is our nation's history. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, you and I both are forced to live in the constructs that our mm-hmm. society has created. And, and the construct is basically... February is Black History Month, mm-hmm. um, uh, so hopefully uh, we'll, we'll you know talk about it now. But also hopefully it'll make its way into the the mainstream conversation. Yeah. Uh, but to answer your question, uh, the first missionary from America was George Lyle, uh, and he went out in 1782. Um, you can look his name up; uh, it's spelled L I E L E. Sometimes there are different spellings, but he um, he basically was a slave, earned his his freedom 
was given his freedom, and then he uh, was some people attempted to re-enslave him. So he, he indentured himself to a British soldier and went to Jamaica and served as a missionary there. Hmm. And uh, you can imagine with all of the industry taking place in Jamaica, uh, how people would not want their slaves to be too educated or to have the idea that they actually had freedom in Christ. Because when people think they're free and they know that they're free, it's a lot harder to make them do what you want them to do. So George Lyle created a lot of trouble for some of those uh, colonizers and made things difficult for them. And uh, But he was still able to have a very successful ministry, not just empowering people spiritually, but also helping them with uh, very practical type things. Then you look at um, Betsy Stockton. Betsy Stockton was the first single female missionary uh, that we have on record who served overseas. She went with a white couple to the Sandwich Islands, which uh, we now know as Hawaii. And, um, and so she has a, has a big history um, uh, early on. And, and again, I share these things not to, not to say African-Americans were first or that we're better, but just to say we're a part of missions history. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think uh, like my church that I attend is a predominantly black Southern Baptist church. And we take up an Annie Armstrong offering and a Lottie Moon offering. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we don't take up a, you know, a George Lyle offering. Mm-hmm. You know? so, yeah. yep. uh, but yes, yeah, so these people are part of the conversation. There are lots of names. Uh, there's like William Colley and there are William Shepard and Montrose Waite, uh, other people who've been involved in missions over the years. But there are a lot of names that uh, I've gotten to know personally, people like uh, Benjamin Johnson, who was a really influential uh, African-American mission mobilizer. He did a lot of things in the inner cities of Chicago and at one time had a very small church, but had several people from that small church serve overseas. Um, one of my personal heroes is uh, Michael Johnson, who was a surgeon in Kenya for uh, almost 20 years, and he just returned within the last handful of years, but uh, very passionate about doing medical missions himself, but even more passionate about training Kenyan doctors how to, uh, how to do holistic care and how to get involved in mission themselves. Um, his wife is Kay, and she's done a lot in the area of development, and, uh, and so just tremendous people I've been able to, to get to know over the years. The numbers are obviously very small, mm-hmm. and I think uh, some would say that if if I were extremely generous, I would say there are 500 African-American missionaries in the world. Mm-hmm. But if I were a little more realistic, I would say less than 300. And some of that is based on contacting sending agencies, asking around on the field, uh, looking at denominations and talking with them, and we just have not found more than 300 um, so if anyone's listening and they know of African-American missionaries, please call Jeff right away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to talk about maybe why that is uh, as we go along. I'm, I'm particularly just fascinated by the early history, though. You mentioned Stock, Betsy Stockton and George Lyle. These are folks that uh, didn't necessarily come to America as Christians. Like they, they probably came practicing African religions or something and—, and um, so I'm curious about their their experience. Once they, what what you know from the history, um, after they converted, you hinted at something like, uh, you know, once they knew they were free in Christ. Yeah. What was their experience of 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 converting to Christian? Did anything legally change for them? Did anything culturally change for them? Did their white 
you know, Masters, were they concerned about that? What what yeah. what would the situation have been like for Lyle and Stockton and some of the other ones that yeah, had come a, across? Um, I, I'm, I'm really bad. As we talked about earlier, I'm horrible with timelines and, and okay. specific dates. Uh-huh. So if I'm not mistaken, some of these folks were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were born into slavery here born in America. Born into slavery, yeah. Um, but I do know that a lot of the slaves that came here, yes, they were practicing their traditional religions. Um, uh, you know, but I think as as they encountered the gospel, mm-hmm. they fell in love with the person of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And you have heard a lot of Negro spirituals mm-hmm. where people would actually, um, during their break time or when they were away from their duties, mm-hmm. they found great hope and great uh, relief, for lack of a better term, in their relationship with Christ. And uh, I think that they were able to discern that there was some hypocrisy between the way that the scriptures were used by the slave master and the way that they understood Jesus. And as they began to learn to read, uh, Christ became more clear mm. uh, in terms of who he was. And, and people responded differently, just as people do when they encounter any issue of injustice. Some will go along with the nonviolent approach and they will, you know, try to pray and march and take that route. And some say, you know what, this isn't right. We're going to take up arms and we're going to revolt. And you had slaves do both of those things. Some would be submissive and just take the beatings and do what they were asked to do and you had others like uh you know i think the nat turner had had a revolt there was a, a movie uh about that revolt and uh, and so i think people just they they knew that they had been set free in christ and that they shouldn't be bound up and locked up by any man um mm-hmm. and so i think as as they became more in love with jesus and they realized his transformative power they wanted to share that with others and not just in their local context, but everywhere they had a chance to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how eventually, you know, these movements happened where when they got their freedom and, you know, for example, the AME Church was founded in 1787. Um, the AME Church, African Methodist Episcopal Church, when they were founded, they didn't really see, they didn't really think that missions was odd. I mean, it, it was natural. Like, shouldn't we want to take this gospel back, especially to our people, to our ancestors or to our uh, our family back in Africa, and there are different uh, parables I've heard. Someone said Africa was pregnant with twins, and she went through a violent C-section and sent ahead one of the children so that they would come back and help the rest of the family. Mm. So there's this kind of historical memory in the people on the continent of Africa, in some parts, I should say, and there's also this connectedness that many African Americans felt that we should definitely take this good news back to our family. And that's why a lot of missionaries uh, had their eye on Africa early on. Mm-hmm. Plus, it helped that there were some people that assumed Africans would be resistant to malaria. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they died like everybody else. Uh, and then when uh, I think it was quinine, if I'm not mistaken, was introduced, there became less of an emphasis on sending African-Americans and just sending anybody because it wasn't required that African-Americans went. Um, so that's just a, 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 a maybe a, a long answer to your question, but that's kind of what comes to mind. And some in the government had a, um, a a recolonization society, you know, the American Colonization Society. And in my readings, it seemed like Liberia was was a destination for a lot of uh, early early missionaries going back to Africa, and yeah. uh, they did seem to follow. They would go to Nova Scotia, um, yeah, where Nova some Scotia. slaves had been sent, and um, and I think that was the assumption by some white. Uh, leaders was that they would, you know, the Africans would be more conducive to the African environment. And like you said, once medicine advanced, uh, people started going. Yeah, there's no need. And, you know, you have like Lot Carey. Um, mm-hmm. I'm kind of using a little cheat sheet, but uh, Lot Carey, 
uh, went to Liberia around 1821. Um, one of my dearest friends, uh, like an uncle to me, is uh, Jim Sutherland. And Jim is a white gentleman who did his PhD at Trinity uh, TEDS on African-Americans and missions. So a lot of the research that I use, a lot of the research that the black church uses on missions is is due to his uh, reading and research and, and questionnaires and surveys. And uh, and he lives in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, just a dear brother. Oh, his website, if you're curious, is yeah. um, www.rmni.org, which stands for Reconciliation Ministries Network International, rmni.org. Okay. I'll uh, put that in the show notes. Yeah, that's 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 good, Richard. I appreciate you referencing him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a uh, it's a lot of a lot of fascinating history here. I think as we think about it, though, what what do you is there anything we can tell about their early motivation um, for for wanting to do mission? Obviously, if you could escape the situation in America, you would. I would think. Right. <laughs> um, and then and and so what? But at the same time, they obviously had a burning passion for the gospel because mm-hmm. the situation was it wasn't easy for anybody back then. If you wanted to go to another another country, but certainly yeah. um, their situation was much more dire. No, it, it may it, you know there's there's always that kind of um, feeling torn on the inside. Uh, a good example of this is uh, George Washington Carver. I mean, he was brilliant. He went to school in Iowa. He was a very gifted artist. He was just had a brilliant mind, and uh, and he was uh, recruited by Booker T. Washington to come down to Tuskegee, and you could see within George Washington Carver this this do I go to Africa or overseas and become a missionary, or do I stay here in my own country and help my people to eat? Mm. And you can you can feel that tension. Um, I feel that tension myself. I mean, like. I mean, like, here I am, a 39-year-old African-American male, master's degree, uh, degree in, you know, Bible and that kind of stuff. Why shouldn't I invest that in my own people, my own community? You know, I've, I've read statistics. I've heard about shootings in Chicago. I've heard about uh, single mothers. I've heard about the lack of father figures, all those kinds of things. So, so what business do I have going to Africa? And that's the, that's the, the thing that makes it that's the, 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 the tension that we feel. And I think that same tension was there in the early African-American uh, believers' lives. Um, they wanted to make things right for their people where they were. Uh, you had people like Harriet Tubman, the Underground Railroad. I mean, mm-hmm. how many people did she lead to freedom? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was her mission, and it was no less godly or important than moving to Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we've always seen that tension, particularly in the, in, in the black church, of do I stay or do I go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, especially when the gospel says that we should be going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when you when you do begin to do some research, you are struck by how many did go. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, it wasn't. I don't. I don't know the exact numbers, and there's a lot of names we'll never never know. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I was struck by how many did, and, it's, and particularly given their the difficult circumstances. Right, and it's always difficult to measure, you know. Um, I mean, as you know, with statistics, there's always, I mean, how do you acquire those statistics and, you know, were they done with perfection? I mean, like, for example, if there's a, a black businessman who goes with a company overseas and he's seeing that as an opportunity to be a faithful witness, he'll never get recorded. Um, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or if there's someone who just says, we're just going to be crazy and just pick up and move to Africa or to Europe or wherever, they don't get counted and they don't. You know, they might do non-traditional type means. 
and a lot of it becomes word of mouth and then what is a missionary uh, some of the statistics that I've alluded to regarding the less than 300 some of those unfortunately I guess you could say include let's say an african-american person who is serving on a majority white campus ministering to white college students because that would be seen as quote-unquote cross-cultural um, it might also include some people who are like serial short-termers or those who might even be in roles that I had at a majority white sending agency um, and so when you look at the actual numbers of who is literally selling their stuff moving overseas for a long-term service in a cross-cultural setting, i.e. another country, that makes the numbers even less. Hmm. Let's dive into that a little bit. Maybe what was going on and, and why, the, um, why the sending began to dry up a little bit. Yeah, um, we mentioned some things earlier about the, um, you know, some of the colonizers perceived us as a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it, it is, if, if your goal is to make money on sugarcane, let's say, yeah. and somebody's selling people they're free, I mean, that's, you're, you're going to go out of business because mm-hmm. nobody's going to want to work without being paid and... Uh, same thing for cotton or any other thing that, that made people rich. Mm. Um, but then there were also uh, a lot of sending agencies, I think, that were led by, obviously, Christians. Uh, we sometimes forget that Christians are still—we uh, are still products of our environment and our culture. And unfortunately, some of our white brothers and sisters had hearts that didn't value their African-American brothers and sisters equally. And so in the 1900s, you would see certain agencies that literally had policies that would not let blacks serve with them. And uh, and I know this because I heard from the mouth of the former president of SIM, Steve Strauss, um, who was a missionary to Ethiopia. When he came back and took over SIM, he actually looked in the record books and saw the policies. And he attempted to right the wrong, um, knowing that he didn't enact the policy, but he wanted to make it right. And SIM is now the co-sponsor of the African-American Missions Conference in uh, Virginia every June. They also have a very uh, intentional approach at trying to recruit African-Americans. They had an African-American board chair for a little while. Um, uh, So, yeah, that's something SIM has done. And then I think the other thing is just, again, that tension of if there are social issues in the black community, I mean, people are not eating, there's joblessness, there's housing inequities. Um, who is going to help our people? And there's been that that thing of, well, well, we'll take care of our own people. And there's just a lot of emphasis on helping blacks to survive and thrive. Um, it hasn't always been done well, but I think that's been the general uh, thing of we got to take care of our own people. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a timeline, one of the articles that Jim Sutherland wrote in the EMQ or Evangelical Mission Quarterly in 2004 he kind of gives this timeline um, where you see that um, 1865 to 1890, there the Jim Crow laws passed. Uh, 1880s to 1960s, there was segregation. Um, you had migrations from the South to the North. You had economic depression. You had the right to vote was given, like what, 1965. Civil rights were, uh, laws were lost, uh, you know, when the Jim Crow laws were restored. That was up until 1970. And then you had uh, economic recession. And those, I mean, so we're talking very recent history. Mm-hmm. And I think in many ways, the black community is still trying to build itself up and uh, and take advantage of the opportunities that are supposedly afforded in the, you know, the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that's right now a big focus. Um, one last thing I would say is just 
uh, I think that there's just not a lot of education. I mean, the fact that you're doing this podcast is, is very commendable because you're at least attempting to create awareness. And uh, in our seminaries, in our churches, there's just no awareness of the contributions of non-whites. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily because of blatant racism. I think it's just out of sight, out of mind, or people celebrate their heroes, people that look like them. Uh, but there's so many people who have done great things in this country, and, uh, and they're just not talked about. Mm-hmm. And so as we, as we celebrate those folks, I think it expands our horizons, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I was struck by the accomplishments of the the early pioneer, uh, those either that were born into slavery and became missionaries, leaders in the church, members of the church, you know, churches in the north, founded mm-hmm. mission societies, went back to Africa, did amazing things, went to yeah. Jamaica, the Caribbean, uh, Hawaii, Nova Scotia. I was I was struck by by the accomplishments that, yeah, we, we haven't heard about and don't yeah. talk about, but and, they're and it's quite amazing. I mean, it's amazing. I'm, one thing I, I, I wrote on my hand, I write on my hands, my daughter gets on me about that, <laughs> is, um, you know, currently I would say one of the issues is there, there were only three African-American sending agencies just a few years ago. Hmm. And of those three, uh, one doesn't even have an email address. Um, so that kind of tells you that that one is still kind of, it needs to be it needs some life breathed into it. Yeah. Uh, the second one is um, is called Ambassadors Fellowship, and they have uh, missionaries. I don't know how many they have. Uh, uh, and then there was a Carver Foreign Mission or Carver International Missions that does a lot, a lot of work in Liberia, but their missionary force is is pretty much down to one or two right now, aside from the Liberians that they help to employ in the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so if you're African American and you and and of course there are denominations like Church of God in Christ or other groups that are sending people the AME Church or the National Baptist Convention they do send people uh, every now and then. Um, but imagine if you're African-American, you, you've never really heard about missions preached from the pulpit. Your pastor perhaps was never educated in seminary with a missions class, but he learned other things, maybe like social-related issues or, um, or, or subjects. And then you somehow, some way, grab a heart for the nations. Where do you go? Where you join a majority white structure, which, um, which may or may not have the sensitivities to receive you the way that I've heard this from firsthand, firsthand experience, not firsthand, actually firsthand, but also secondhand. Okay. I've talked to people who have said the interview process did not take into account their African-American experience as related to uh, theolo- theology. And we, these weren't minor things. These were maybe the way that things were articulated. Um, you know, uh, there were also issues of... Um, you know, what worship styles do we employ when we're on the field? Do we, is everything done in a quote unquote white way? And I know that's a very mm. broad way of saying things, but is there, but does the black person consistently and always have to assimilate to white culture in the agency, on the team, in the, in the field? And by the way, they have to assimilate to the culture that they're trying to reach. And, uh, mm. and it's a very exhausting process. There are financial things, um, you know, asking, Black churches, hey, would you be willing to support my family at five hundred dollars a month? And and for a church that's never done that before, that sounds really odd. Like, what? You're going to give you how much per month? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there are some of those barriers of just being unfamiliar. And then I think some agencies have to do a better job of of connecting with people of color. Yeah, we. Uh, t- I'm fascinated by that, and I appreciate you bringing that up, Richard. Um, do you have any examples? I'm just curious in the in the interview process and then maybe 
um, if you don't have any specific examples, but what are some things that could have been changed or need to be considered um, yeah, in the um, interview process? You mentioned that. One of these, and this is this is not necessarily an African-American issue, but I do think African-Americans tend to be more open to supernatural type things. Uh, just historically, we have been. Uh, and so when you ask questions about a person's practice of, you know, speaking in tongues or you know, believe in God for healings and miracles. When you have organizations that are, are are against those types of things and they've worked with all their might to we really want to be welcoming to people mm. of different cultures. Mm. But then when that particular organization doesn't give space for other expressions of the faith, then if it, it just it just doesn't it's like wow, it's not gonna work, not gonna fit. Um I can give you an example from the field. I know maybe not theology, but I have a friend who serves uh, overseas and she said that the locals, the locals of that particular country she's in, told her, we notice that the whites treat us better as locals than they treat you as an African-American, than they treat you as an African-American. This is something they said to her. Um, we have had uh, people you know, on the field when they have felt that someone did something that was inappropriate or said something inappropriate that was racially insensitive and they have confronted someone it's been dismissed as oh you need to have a sense of humor you need to you know just you know whatever so it seems like the missionaries uh, have had a had a they've brought their baggage with them from America and they've never been they've never processed through it and when it gets on the field the missionary african-american missionary feels like man like I feel racism on my own team. Mm, Sometimes wow. it's not American. Sometimes it could even be missionaries from Europe mm. who haven't gone through that process. Um, mm. I can tell you, my sister, for example, went on a trip to Costa Rica, and you know, somebody says, "Hey, you know, you're, uh, we need somebody to sing. You're black. We know you know how to sing." Mm. You know, um, or um, you know, I was on a trip to somewhere, and one of my friends was playing music by Fred Hammond, who's a prominent African American worship leader, and someone says, "Hey, turn that off. We want to hear worship music." And so imagine being a black person who listens to Fred Hammond, and then you're told, turn that off, we want to hear worship music. Mm. And it's those subtle microaggressions and comments that remind you that you're not really welcome unless you adjust and assimilate to the majority. Uh, and, and for some people, it's so exhausting that they just say, I'd rather just not even go through the process. Mm. But I've heard it countless numbers of times. Mm. Those are just a couple examples. Interesting. Um, that's unfortunate to hear um, that that's going on and. and on all levels, but in particularly, uh, like you just talked about, and to think that, yeah, the, the missionaries would um, treat the locals better uh, than their own teammates. I know we've we've had some mission teams that were majority African American, and they came from other churches. Yeah, and they had trouble fundraising. It, it seemed like missions was not a high, as high an emphasis in their churches, and like you've already talked about, there's other issues they they are concerned about and they're yeah. focused on. No, they are, and the finances. I, I want to give a big shout out to my church, uh, Green Forest Community Baptist Church, which is a Southern Baptist church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I wrote a letter to the pastor, and he shared it with the deacons, and we asked for a, a large amount, mm-hmm. and they said yes. Wow, and, and, awesome. Uh, to my knowledge, we haven't sent a full time missionary in our forty year history. Um, so we'll be the first. We'll be commissioned on the 18th of February. And uh, and our hope is that people will see us, 
You know, they'll see us taking our little kids, two, four, six, eight years old. They'll see us, uh, mm-hmm. you know, maybe cry. I don't know. They'll see mm-hmm. our parents cry. And, you know, they'll be like, wow, this is real. Yeah. And hopefully that will inspire others to go. Yeah. But um, but people just have not seen that. I mean, if there, if there are less than 250 of us, yeah. then who has ever seen an African-American family commissioned? It is very possible, Jeff, that my family could literally, I'm not exaggerating, be the only African-American family in this entire country commissioned and sent out this year. 2018. Um, and so just seeing that, experiencing that impacts kids where they say, wow, I want to, I want to do that when I grow up. Mm -hmm. Uh, the finances are definitely an issue. Uh, I will say that I have, God has brought me from an African-American community where all I was around was African-Americans. Um, to going to Oral Roberts where I had a lot of exposure to majority white culture, not that there's one culture. Um, but but having developed like wonderful friendships, like people I would fight for, people I would jump in front of a bullet for, and people who would do the same for me. Uh, and so um, I've been grateful to see the way that some of my white friends and, and white churches have said, hey, we want to support you. And we have, of the seven or eight churches that are supporting us, I want to say at least three or four of them are white churches. Um, and that's been amazing. And so I think part of sending African-Americans is going to be uh, white churches just saying, hey, um, we don't want to get caught up in the, you know, the black-white conversation per se, but we do realize it might be harder for these African-Americans to raise churches, uh, money in their own churches. So maybe we can help in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we can encourage in some way. We have a church that's supporting us um, in North Georgia, and they've been phenomenal. I mean, they have they've embraced us. They've loved us. Uh, similarly, there's a church... In, uh, in Conyers, Georgia, I'll call their name Salem United Methodist Church, and it's a majority white church. Um, the people there have loved my family, like, amazingly. Uh, they're not perfect, and maybe deep down inside their hearts they might say some things we might not agree with, but they have loved us so well. And uh, and I tell you what, they have, they have supported us financially. Uh, they have cared for us and encouraged us, and so we're grateful for churches like that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have a worker in the Middle East, African-American mm-hmm. um, young lady, and she talks about um, being literally, there's no one like her over there <laughs> yeah. where she's serving, you right. know, you know, and uh, just dealing with that. You talk about yeah. the cultural issues at home and then going into another culture. Are there any unique experiences or challenges going to Africa for an African American, I just I just wonder that. Yeah, good question. Um, you know, it, it, it's a good question. Um, so Africa, as you know, is like a, a huge, gigantic place. Mm-hmm. So you do have some places in Africa that aren't so fond of African Americans. Okay. Um, my guess is that some of those places were the ones that were complicit in sending us to Africa in the first place. Um, then you have other groups that might have seen the way the African-Americans are portrayed on television or and they probably have assumptions about us that aren't necessarily true, just like we have assumptions about them that aren't necessarily true. But largely, my experience is that people have been excited to see us. It's been almost like a double take. Like they're like, oh, there's a there's a regular Kenyan. And then you open your mouth and, you, and you're talking like an American. And they're like, what? Wait a second. Where are you from? I'm from America. And their eyes get big. Like, really? You're an, you are an African-American? I've never met one of you. Mm. I have talked to so many African-American short-termers who have met Africans 
who have never in their life met an African-American missionary. Short-term, long-term, any term, they've never met them before. And the level of joy, even the level of self-disclosure that those cultures have given to the African-American missionary. Even my wife and I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you can't see this uh, on the radio, but I'm a, I'm a fair-skinned African-American guy. Uh, and so um, when I go to Kenya, they might call me Muzungu, which means white person or Westerner. And I'll say, Nadi Muzungu, Merikani Mwayusi. I'm not, I'm not a Muzungu. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a black American. And they go, oh, Obama Muzungu. Um, <laughs> so, so when they realize that I, I see myself as a black American, I think it kind of makes them feel a little differently about me. Like, oh, wow, you're one of those people. Uh, in Ethiopia, we have had people that have opened up to us a lot quicker than they would our, our white counterparts. And it's a huge honor and a huge privilege. And we want to uh, hold that sacred disclosure and uh, and use it to, um, I don't say to our advantage, but for the furtherance of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and obviously not just for our success, but for the success of the larger team, the larger body of Christ. Well, that's fascinating. I appreciate you answering that question. Uh, I was always, always curious about that. You mentioned Jim Sutherland. Are there other resources that, in my listening to this podcast, who wants to learn more about African-American experience in missions or early missionaries, uh, current ones? Yeah, there, there are two big books, uh, both done by the, the um, I guess you, they're not called the U.S. Center for World Mission, but, uh, but the done by William Carey Library, I should say. And uh, one is called uh, uh, Profiles of African-American Missionaries. That's edited by uh, Robert Stevens and Brian Johnson. And there's another one called, um, uh, I think it's called Perspectives on the African-American Experience in World Missions or something like that. It's also edited by uh, Stevens and Walston, W-A-L-S-T-O-N. And both of those books are kind of like um, short chapters, almost written like the Perspectives book, and you'll get to know some new names and see some history. Uh, some, some of the history is, is not as fleshed out as I'd like for it to be, but, uh, but they do do a good job of giving a bibliography where you can find more things. And Jim Sutherland is really good at that as well. Mm. Um, for more contemporary things, there's a man named Hosey Burks, uh, H-O-I-S-E-B-I-R-K-S. And Hosey Burks wrote a book called A New Man, uh, his autobiography about uh, him being involved with George Verwer in the very, very early days. If I'm not mistaken, he was the first African-American missionary with OM. And he tells of his adventures and his journeys. He also wrote a book called Timbuktu Re- Revisited. Um, hmm. And uh, but I knew him personally. He was just a he was excited. Oh man, excited about about missions. Hmm. And um, again, I mentioned Michael Johnson, a dear friend of mine. He wrote a book called Making the Blind Man Lame. Uh, Michael Johnson has such a uh, a wit to him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but it, the, the subtitle is What Jesus Wouldn't Do. Hmm. Uh, either it might be the other way around, but I, th- I think it is making the blind man lame. And um, there are a few other books on individuals. Uh, I'm trying to see. I have some in front of me. Uh, there's a guy named Montrose Wait, W-A-I-T-E, the man who couldn't wait. And uh, Donald Canty was the one who uh, wrote. Uh, well, we knew this man very well. He was a missionary to Liberia. Uh, so yeah, there, I mean, there's some, there's some books out there. They're not as many as I'd like, mm-hmm. and that's one of the things you can pray for me about. Is um, I am not wired to be a historian. There's some people who just sit in the library and they just eat up books and they spit out, you know, compilations of you know all the things they've learned, and that is not my forte. But I realize that I might have to do something like that uh, mm-hmm. someday. 
mm-hmm. in the future. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so so pray for me. Or, or I mean, you know, it doesn't matter who writes the book. I, I know there are people of all colors who are historians who would maybe enjoy writing on this subject. So maybe one of your listeners yeah. would like to get a library card and, <laughs> and write a book. It, it, it is fascinating. I, I enjoy history myself. And I don't know, maybe it, this is just my, my opinion. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. The fact that Africa now is sending and is a majority Christian, you know, especially in the sub-Sahara part of it, um, I think has to in some part be attributed to the early African-American missionaries that went went back there, I would think. And yeah. um, and the fact that now it's it's a sending continent, you know? Yeah. And uh, we read about uh, Christianity shifting to the Southern Hemisphere mm-hmm. and um, South America sending and and so many places. And the fact that you're going to Ethiopia to support a sending to, yeah, organization right. that's already already doing the work. Right. Um, yeah, that's an interesting thought. I've, I've never thought of it that way, but I, I would imagine you're right. You know, it's... Um, there have been some contributions that we've made. I know Liberia has been a place where we put a lot of emphasis. I mean, that's where the, you know, the the back to Africa movement, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We all went back to Liberia, so you can see why that would be such a hot spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in other places in West Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are other places that we've gone, but it's it's been, uh, we have discipled and helped people to come to know the Lord. And I think we've always had a very holistic approach to, gospel, to the gospel. Yeah. Not just preaching the words of Christ, but also demonstrating justice and demonstrating feeding people and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's been one of the strengths I think we've brought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you and if you look at the profiles of African American missionaries book, they they'll highlight several uh recent and and modern mm-hmm. workers. I, I remember reading a story of a uh there's a missionary in uh, China, you know, mm-hmm. uh yeah. the Philippines. Yeah. And so and I know uh, some of these folks there. I mean, you know, I think it's funny because and, and you know this Jeff more than more than anyone the people that we kind of laud as heroes and the great missionaries, they're just like regular people. Who, yeah. They were just being faithful to the Lord. They weren't trying to be heroes. And uh, and so I've had conversations with them. And one of my dear friends, she's serving in West Africa. Um, and I read her newsletters. And I'm just like, wow, she's going to have like a place close to the throne when, when she gets to heaven. Mm-hmm. She is amazing. And when you talk to her, she's like, well, I don't, I don't really see myself that way. I'm just teaching people to read and... And you know, teaching people to read then helps them to read the Bible, and mm-hmm. uh, but just so just tremendous people, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm really excited to have spent a lot of time with some of them uh, who are just they're passionate about missions, they they're passionate about Jesus more so, but definitely passionate about missions, mm-hmm. and they have lamented as have I that uh, even as African Americans trying to mobilize our churches is, is challenging, um, it's very challenging, and mm-hmm. uh, and so one thing I try to do is I try to support those local initiatives that African Americans are doing and not not disregard them and say, you know, get your eyes off of your neighborhood and let's go to the nations because that just that starts a fight and I think it it doesn't respect the difficulties that there are in a lot of black communities. I mean, I think I mentioned in class, if I'm not mistaken, 70% of of African American babies are born to single parents, single single mothers. So, that's a, that's real. Uh, mm-hmm. And and we can't we can't poo poo for lack of, lack of a better term uh, those uh, efforts that churches are taking to to revive their communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the same time, for anybody listening to this um, that is African American and and they're they're interested in missions, um, I know we partner with several several organizations that 
that I would point them to, but are there any other um, pathways that you would point them on? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I have to give, so I, you know, I have to be diplomatic in my shout outs. So I, I would say that <laughs> Ambassadors Fellowship in Colorado Springs is, a, is, um, is probably the only African-American sending agency that could send the way that a traditional agency would send. Um, the resources are going to look different. The training is going to look different. It's not going to be as shiny and, you know, spectacular as groups that belong to Missio Nexus and have, you know, all the bells and whistles. But, uh, but they do a good job at what they do. Um, there's also, um, you know, SIM, which SIM has put a lot of energy into educating their staff and educating their fields about how to care for African-Americans. There's obviously my organization, TMS Global, uh, who hired someone to help with diversity initiatives. And um, you have Wycliffe, who, is, who has done a lot in those areas. Uh, so there are, there's SEND International. Uh, you know, I just spoke with my friend yesterday. She's, in, uh, she's a Chinese-American woman who is helping SEND and other organizations to, to relate to ethnic minorities well. So um, those are a few. I'm sure I left out something and someone's going to be mad at me, but... Uh, but yeah, reach out to those organizations, and if they can't help you, I'm sure they'll yeah. help you find the right place. Well, any uh, closing thoughts? <laughs> um, the closing thoughts, I think, um, I would say, j- just one of the one of the dangers of doing what you're doing, Jeff, is that someone will say, "Well, why do we have to give time to Black Americans? Aren't we just all one church? Why do we have to, you know?" And and and, and respectfully to those people, I understand what they're attempting to say. They're attempting to say we're one body in Christ. We should all celebrate what we have in common. Um, and while I agree with that, I also think we have to take special attention to highlight the things that we just don't see. Um, because many of us have our favorite news station, we have our favorite sitcoms, you know, um, we have our favorite places that we go, we have our favorite friends, and we just aren't exposed to each other. We just don't hang out with each other. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and because of that, I think we're we're the the poorer for it as the body of Christ. Uh, so for those who are listening, um, I would invite you to instead of fighting against initiatives like this, pray for us. Pray for African Americans. Uh, we're we're equal we're equal at the foot of the cross. We're equally saved. Um, one little plug I want to put in is a soapbox is for a soapbox issue that I've heard time and time again from African American leaders. They have wanted to be a part of joint initiatives with white organizations and churches, but every time they've tried, they've been treated as a second-class citizen because they don't have enough money as the biggest donor, or because they may not have the equal levels of education, or because they might be the lone voice with their perspective. And so I would say, if you have the opportunity to work with African Americans, be, be welcoming, invite, listen, don't disagree with everything, listen, and hang out together, have fun. Like eat pizza and play kickball and just do fun things together and build legitimate friendships. Um, the people that I have gotten to know who are my white counterparts or my Brazilian counterparts or whatever ethnicity or culture you think of, we have had fun together. We've sung karaoke together. We've we just did crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And, and those relationships are what help build the body of Christ and get us on the same team get us synergized in the efforts that we're doing. So it's not about the black church being successful or the white church being successful. It's about the one church being successful um, as we learn to work together 
in that common bond that we have in Christ. Well, that's good. And it, and it kind of goes back to how you kick things off, that this is uh, this is missions history. It's not African-American missions history, but this fills it out. I mean, yeah. this, this gives the more full story, right? The fuller story. Yeah. Uh, I grew up with, you know, my culture telling looking through our lens and, and pointing out, you know, our heroes, right? Yeah. And we didn't get the full story. And there's still, I mean, we'll never get the complete story. There's people doing amazing things we'll never hear about. They'll never get an article in a book. Um, and they're just doing it, right? Right. And I, I just appreciate you coming on and, and, and us having a conversation that, that fills out the story. And yeah. it's, it's, um, it's our history. It's the history of the church. Yeah. And... Um, and, and for God's glory. You yeah, know? I mean, absolutely. At the end of the day, what we want is his name to be called, not a community, not a person, yeah. but his name to be lifted up. And I think that's best done when we work together as a, as a body. Yeah. And that certainly um, bears witness to the world when they see people of all ethnicities working together and uh, the mystery of Christ bringing down the walls between Jew and Gentile and mm-hmm. black and white and African yeah. and whoever else. It um, it's, a, it's beautiful to see. And I pray that for our mission organizations that – that will improve in that area and that will, you know, like you, you mentioned it, some of the stories, unfortunately, earlier, and, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, we'll see more. We'll uh, be praying for you and your family, even a few days, yeah. you know, how are the, are the kids excited? What do they think? Yeah, uh, we, we bought, uh, we went to one of the department stores and bought new luggage for the kids, so they all have their one little carry-on bag. All right. We got, like, a, a magenta-looking color, orange, green, and yellow, so they all got their own color. And uh, so they're excited about that. They've been really resilient, um, moving from uh, different houses that we've stayed in, traveling, putting miles on the minivan, and then even getting rid of their toys. I mean, my wife has said, hey, do you guys want to get rid of some toys? And they've given away toys. And wow. I'm like, no, I actually yeah. like that toy. Why are we giving this one away? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're excited, and they're excited, and I think uh, the best is yet to come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... Um, you're going to work with the uh, organization you're expecting to help to mobilize, and what will that entail? Will that entail, you know, traveling around Africa or staying in Ethiopia or no travel? What, what's what's yeah. that look like? We, well, we're, we're going as a part of TMS's uh, kind of hope that we can be involved in mobilization and, and equipping uh, African believers who are, again, equally called, equally passionate. Mm-hmm. They're just saying, hey, we, we have a few blind spots in terms of uh, culture shock, teaching our people about culture shock or oh, okay. contextualization or member care. Mm. Would you come in and kind of help us get started and, and give us some ideas of how we could teach and train and mentor and coach? That's and good. our hope is to uh, do it for a while and then hand it over. Uh, there are some really unfortunate realities, though, that sometimes when the foreigner comes in, more people show up to your workshop or they take what you say more seriously. And what I'm hoping to do is a kind of I don't know, change that, not single-handedly, but I'd love to just encourage and, uh, and, and promote what some of my African counterparts are doing. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mission Life Podcast. I found it extremely helpful and insightful and hopefully an encouragement to us all to better understand and appreciate the unique gifts and experiences we all bring to the work of God's kingdom. Richard referenced quite a few names, organizations, and book titles, all of which are listed in the show notes on my website, jeffreams.com. I highly encourage you to check out those 
And on the next episode of the Mission Life Podcast, we'll feature a fascinating story about a, the challenges and joys of coming to Christ from another faith background. She was raised in a conservative Jewish home where Jesus was a word only heard in anger. But later in life, she came to love that name. You won't want to miss Sandy's story. Until then, may you continue to seek the kingdom of God and make him known wherever you go.